Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study here from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, honored that you would take time to be with us. And today, if you're joining us for the first time, well, you're joining us at the end uh, of a series. So uh, <laughs> this is actually the end, our last session uh, on the curriculum that's found in uh, this book uh, by Pastor Dean and Sarah out of Tallahassee, Florida, called The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. So if today is your first time to be with us in this series, I would highly recommend uh, that you go back and, and watch the other um, uh, sessions that we had. They're available on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. If you just click on Playlist uh, right here on the YouTube channel, for those of you that are watching it already, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, that's a couple of options for you. You can go to the playlist at uh, our YouTube channel and find all the other episodes, or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com if you prefer audio only, and just click on the listen uh, button there, and you can go back through uh, the rest of our series, and really any of the series that we've done over the last uh, four plus years. So we will wrap it up today. Uh, the premise of this study is pretty straightforward. Uh, it's talking about what uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah uh, has proclaimed, and I agree, as many others, this could be the biggest unreached people group in the United States of America. That is the cultural Christian. Uh, I'm teaching this as a recovering cultural Christian, so I, I know a lot about the things that are talked about here because I've lived them out, sadly and in, embarrassingly, in my own life. So uh, hopefully it's, it's been as um, uh, beneficial for you that have been here through the entire study as it has been for me teaching it uh, a lot of reminders. And today it's going to kind of be that, uh, that gut check. You know, we've, we've talked about throughout this study uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, instructed us uh, in uh, the second letter that we have documented in the Word of God uh, to the church at Corinth. He said at the end that we need to assess ourselves to see if we're of the faith. Uh, you need to make an assessment of what the Scripture says um, redemption looks like, what the Scripture says it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and you need to assess whether you pass the test of actually having the power of Jesus in your life. And today, we're really going to do that because the question today before all of us uh, is this, are you a cultural Christian? Uh, let's review and talk about some of the things that uh, need to be assessed in our lives, or uh, will you come to the conclusion that people that you know and love uh, are cultural Christians? And as we talked about last week, uh, will, will we ever be bold enough to actually admit that and then uh, attempt to reach those uh, that we claim to love so much, and sometimes those can be the hardest. So uh, before we open with prayer, uh, themanchurch.com is obviously our, our hub for those of you that are watching around the country or listening to the podcast. If we can help you in any way discipling men, we have a complete discipleship strategy available at themanchurch.com. We have individual resources. We have small group resources. We have a 40-week curriculum for the entire church and the men's ministry there. Uh, we certainly can do events with you and gatherings uh, when those become you know, more, more available to you, wherever you may be. Just go to themanchurch.com. We'd love to help you. Grid Our Men's Conference is coming up August 21st, 22nd. For those of you that are in around the Huntsville area, just talk to Phil Waldrop. His ministry puts that together. They have a few seats available. Love to see you there. Dr. David Jeremiah will be there. Steve Farrar will be there. Uh, Josh Rivas will be there. Michael W. Smith will be in concert on Friday night. Charles Billingsley leads worship. I'll be speaking uh, along with Phil Waldrop. So Gridiron Men 
Com. We'd love to see you and look forward to seeing all of you that are already signed up. And I'll be out at the manchurch.com booth throughout the entire weekend. So I hope you'll come by and say hello. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, right now, may your Holy Spirit confirm us or convict us on where we stand uh, in our claim to be Christians. Now, certainly I know there may be people that have found this that have never claimed uh, to, to be redeemed. They, they don't make any such claim. Uh, they're just searching. I pray that today this message can be used to reach them as well. Continue to refine us into the people that only you can make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, some of you have been asking, what are we going to do after this? Uh, what we'll do for the next two Wednesdays is we'll do standalone messages, meaning these Bible studies uh, will not be part of any series. They'll just be standalone. Uh, we have a, a man church that is coming up at my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, on August the 30th. That will be online for anyone to see anywhere by going to shades.org slash men of shades. So shades.org slash men of shades, 6 o'clock Central Time, p.m. on Sunday evening, August the 30th. Um, so after that, we'll start a new series uh, here on the Wednesday Bible Study, and we'll be walking through verse by verse, word by word, First and Second Peter. Uh, so now let's finish up. Uh, the unsaved Christian, reaching cultural Christianity with the gospel. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, as we begin to assess where we are, we go to that very, very convicting part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. He's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and we know that he's talked about a narrow gate. He's talked about uh, a wide and easy gate, uh, which leads to a destruction. He says the narrow gate that we're to enter with him is narrow and the way is hard uh, in verse 13 and 14, and only a few find it. Uh, we've unpacked that. We've also unpacked uh, 21 uh, through 23, which is really kind of the one of the theme verses uh, that we would have for this entire study. This is when Jesus is saying, some people claim uh, to represent me, but I don't know who they are. Uh, but then there's this mid part that we're going to talk about today because we're assessing, are we cultural Christians? So Jesus says, uh, he's talking about false prophets here, but when he, any, anytime you see scripture talking about a false prophet or a false teacher, claiming to be redeemed and, and that being false applies. Because all that means, these are people that claim to represent me or claim to belong to me, uh, but if you look into their life, you'll find they really don't. And so he, he starts in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Uh, the, again, this means anybody that's making a claim of being of the faith, but they're not. And listen to 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And, and here's here's... Have you ever taken the Bible, and some of you that have followed this Bible study for several years, you've heard me reference this before, because remember, I was a cultural Christian, so a lot of times I would take things that I kind of knew about the Bible, and then I would do what sadly a lot of people attempt to do. I would make it say something that was more comfortable to me uh, than to what it actually said, uh, kind of like now, where we have people that are out there saying, well, God's evolved on fill in the blank. Now, they have no scripture to, uh, to support that. They just claim that God's evolved into something they're more comfortable with. Well, listen to this, because I used to read this verse incorrectly. 
Here's what Jesus actually said in verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. See, I used to take that verse and say a healthy tree should not bear bad fruit. And you're like, Rick, what, does that make a big difference? Well, it did to me because that opens me up for a little, little room here to say, yeah, I'm still a healthy tree, even though I don't bear good fruit. You know, I mean, we, we, you, you know, I should, uh, meaning I might some, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that, that a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Not it should not. It cannot. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And then 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So I, I guess one of the things that we can say, if you want to know whether you're a cultural Christian or if I want to know whether I'm a cultural Christian, meaning I'm making a claim of redemption that isn't accurate, one of the things to look at is what fruit do I bear? Because that's what Jesus said I should look at. And keep in mind, he says this right before that 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, there's that fruit who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are workers of lawlessness. And look at the first words of 24. You know, you might have sang this when you were a little kid. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You might have, this is, this is where that, that little children's song comes from. But don't miss verse 24 that follows this in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Man, there's, there's an awful lot of talk here uh, by Jesus that people who've been redeemed by him actually live like it. Now, we're not talking about perfection on this side of heaven, um, and, but, but we're not talking about deliberate, perpetual, intentional sin. We're not talking about life of sin. I can tell you that. He, he's making that extremely clear. These are the words of Jesus. They're, they're not the opinion of Rick or the opinion of a human being. This is what Jesus Christ said. He said, healthy trees don't bear bad fruit. So if I'm bearing bad fruit, meaning I have a lifestyle of sin, then there is something wrong because Jesus just said that I'm more like a diseased tree than I am a healthy tree, which means a diseased tree is not connected to the true vine, John 15, meaning I'm not producing fruit because I'm not connected to Jesus. So Jesus isn't flowing through me. So I'm a diseased tree. And once again, here's Jesus saying, let me tell you what happens to trees that don't bear fruit. They're cut up and thrown in the fire. Rick, Rick, are you, is Jesus teaching a works-based faith? No, he's not teaching that at all. What he's teaching is that he's actually so powerful that he produces fruit in people. He does it. He makes us fully righteous. We are saved by grace through faith. Of course, that faith is a faith of action, as we've talked about. But, but the, he's saying in John 15, if you're connected to me, I produce fruit. I just do. Because, why? Because we have, we have this incredible self-control or this new code of conduct? No. Jesus just really is that powerful. And I can speak to that in my own life. When I was a cultural Christian, I did not produce fruit. When I was broken and had a contrite heart, 
and we'll get into what you're going to look at in your life. And I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus Christ was Lord. When I submitted his authority and I repented of my sin, which we'll get into, and I had a contrite, broken spirit, then Jesus changed me. Now, did he change me all in one instant? No. Does he continue to change me as I continue to be devoted to him and seek him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? Yes, he does. Does that say anything great about me? No, it doesn't. But it says a lot of great things about him. So let's talk about that. So he's talking about fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we'll just jump right into what I was just talking about. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. And this is the thing that's usually missing in the life of the cultural Christian. I know that because, remember, it's like an AA meeting. I get up here and tell you that I'm an alcoholic. You go, he knows what we've been through. I am a former cultural Christian. I'm a redeemed cultural Christian. I know this whole life. I lived it. Okay, I'm not coming from a sanctimonious, self-righteous place. I'm coming from a broken place, and I'm warning you that cultural Christianity is going to take you straight to hell. And it's where it was taking me. So this is one of the things that we, we you know, we, we come up with a version of Jesus that doesn't talk about repentance. But I'm telling you something. Repentance is it. Without repentance, you will not be saved. And Jesus himself says this. You know, they, 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 were, they, they were a couple of um, you know, teachers and Pharisees that were trying to, to catch Jesus on, on, they, they had this belief, kind of like the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. They had this belief that if anything bad happened to you, you must have done something really bad. You know, you, you, you got what you deserved. And you see this throughout Scripture when even the disciples, you know, who were Jewish men, they were asking Jesus, so, hey, this guy that's blind, so what did he do or his parents do to cause him to be blind? And Jesus said, no, he's blind to glorify me. So they're asking Jesus this question in Luke 13 about an incident that happened he said there were, there, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And meaning he was saying, this, there's, this is a historical event. Pilate went into one of the temples and sent his soldiers in there, and there were some Jewish people from Galilee there, and they were getting ready to prepare the burnt offerings and the sacrificial meats, and he went in there and slaughtered them. So that was blasphemy for the blood of human beings to be mingled with the sacrifice. And so they basically are asking Jesus, what sin did these Jewish men do to deserve this murderous thing? And Jesus comes back and says to them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Are you saying somehow that God looked down and said, now these people are more sinful than these people, so I'm going to wipe them out and, and I'm not going to protect the other people from Galilee. He says, no, look at verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You're not any better than they are. He says, everybody must repent. You know, the times we're living in right now, I don't think I can say this enough. If you want true equality, you want to end all the garbage we've got going on right now with this so-called uh, equality here and equality there and people being separated into groups based on all sorts of things. Now, let me tell you where, there, where you find true equality, at the foot of the cross. All of us are in equal need of redemption and in equal need of repentance. And nobody, no matter where they may come from, ethnicity, family, whatever, no one is going to strut into heaven. We'll all come through repentance and acknowledging our own wretchedness. 
And Jesus says to them, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Look at, look at verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So when Jesus came on the scene, go back to John the Baptist. You know what, you know what Jesus came on the scene saying? Repent. Repent. So, and you go, okay, Rick, with it. So Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist is saying, repent or perish. He points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's calling to repentance. Jesus is calling to repentance. It, it, does that continue? Yes, it does. Acts chapter 2. We go to Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible or something with your Bible on it, you can go to Acts chapter 2. So we get to Acts chapter 2. Here's Peter that at one time uh, ran because he was not willing to die with Jesus. He's denied Jesus. He said things throughout his, his walk with Jesus that, that continue to be wrong. He makes all kinds of bold statements. He can't seem to get it right. But now Jesus has ascended and has left them the Holy Spirit, which was a game changer. And uh, the standard that we all follow now, we follow the, 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 the church after Pentecost. I know so many times, and this is typical of a cultural Christian, we'll compare ourselves to the disciples before Pentecost because they can't seem to get anything right. And we like their mistakes, and we like their lack of commitment. Uh, we, we, we like their... But see, that's the only problem is that's not where we live now. Those of us that have been redeemed are now on the other side of Pentecost, meaning we've received the Holy Spirit, and now the standard of what that looks like are these men and women after they received the Holy Spirit, not before. Well, let me tell you about him after. He gets up and lays it down. I mean, Peter and John go from running and abandoning Jesus to telling everybody that they are with Jesus and, and, and saying that everybody recognized that they were with Jesus. And they said, if you tell us to stop talking about Jesus, you just have to do to us whatever you want to do because we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. We can't help it. And then they prayed for boldness, and they said, it, let persecution come, and they celebrated being whipped. Where did all this courage come from? The Holy Spirit, the resurrection. They're not the same people anymore, and neither should we be. So here's what happens. So, so Peter gets up at Pentecost, and he lays it down. And then you look down in chapter 2, and you see verse 37 and 38. And here's what the people said when they heard Peter. Now when they, they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So, so here's Peter. He's laying it down. It cuts them to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles that were there, brothers, what, do we, what, what should we do? Now, this is real important, and this has got a lot of layers to it. So G Jesus and the gospel has been presented perfectly through the Holy Spirit out of the mouth of Peter. It was so moving, the Holy Spirit cut the hearts of everybody who heard it. And they, they said to, to Peter and the brothers, hey, what are we supposed to do? Because they don't know. You know what he didn't say? Well, everybody just go home and God works all this out. He didn't say that. Uh, leave your name and we'll get back with you. He didn't say that. Guess what he said? Repent. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and we hear from John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. We hear Jesus talking around and teaching, repent or you're going to perish. Here's Peter. He gets it right for the first time, inspired by the Holy Spirit. People ask him and the other apostles, what are we supposed to do? Repent is the first thing he said. Well, then, I guess repentance is a pretty big deal. What is repentance? Repentance is to, to, to be, be like, say you're facing those of you that are watching, if you're listening, 
I'm, I'm turning my back to the camera. I'm facing this way. This over here is sin. This is my life unredeemed. So I'm looking in one direction for those of you that are listening to the audio but can't see this. And then when, when, when I hear repent, then I turn, and now sin is behind me, and, 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 and I'm, I have a contrite, broken heart. David in Psalms 51, we've learned this in the Old Testament, when he's, when he's repenting of the sin of Bathsheba and killing Uriah, he says, please see my contrite and broken spirit. I repent because ultimately I haven't sinned against Bathsheba. I haven't sinned against Uriah. Certainly I have, but that's not why I must repent. They're human beings. They're flawed. I'm repenting because I'm sinning against you, God. My sin's against you, and you are holy, and there's no justification for sinning against you. So I'm done with it. I turn from my sin, and I prefer you, and I repent and, and, then, and then I confess you as my Lord, and I come under your authority. And then he says for them now to, to confess this to the whole world by rising and being baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I don't know, Rick. I'll tell you how you can find out. Do you have any fruit? So one of the things that a true Christian lives is a life of repentance. A life of repentance. And this is something that, um, uh, that, that we have to understand. And, and, and if you look into your life, you'll see that. What's the next thing? So number one, if I'm a real Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have a life of repentance, and I've gone through repentance. The next thing is that, um, that we should become eternally minded. Eternally minded. And you, you see this a lot. Uh, this is one of the things that Sherry and I talk about. Sherry's my wife, for those of you that may be new to this, is we, we said one thing that happened through the pain and suffering we've been through, and, it's, and that we've been through a lot of things. Uh, the most severe was the death of our youngest son and youngest child in 2008. And uh, Sherry has written, and if you've never read her book, it took her five years to grind out the book, Bronner, A Journey to Understand. If you've never read it, I highly suggest that you do. Uh, it's on audio now for those of you that would rather listen to an audio book than to read one. Uh, it's available wherever books are sold, and, and of course the audio book is as well. And it's also been translated recently into French. Uh, because uh, there's some work we're going to be doing in French-speaking nations. And one of the things that we talked about from this is, is through this, we then became more eternal-minded than present-time-minded. You know, we, we really have a saying, compared to eternity, whatever we're going through, fill in the blank, whatever it may be, is really not a big deal. Seems like a big deal today, but, but compared to eternity, it really doesn't. Uh, our mind is not, we're, we're not right now, we, we're not so, so earthly focused as we're heaven focused. Now, in the beginning, in the beginning, some of that had to do with the fact that, you know, a precious child that we loved had now gone there. But over time, we realize as much as we love our son, and we do, and we look forward to that reunion, what's got us heaven focused is not our son. It's not my grandmother. It's not my family members. There's certainly nothing wrong with that being part of it, but we're heaven focused because of Jesus. We can't wait to see Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is what, what holds something of value to us. This earth really doesn't. And, and, and see, a cultural Christian 
it's just like we talked about with those ridiculous country music um, uh, uh, lyrics. And um, is, is the cultural Christian, he's trying to go to heaven, or she's trying to go to heaven, but she really loves the world. She, she's, she and he, they're hung in the present. They can't imagine life being better than a weekend on the lake. They can't imagine anything being better than a ball game. They can't imagine, imagine things being any better than going to dinner at their favorite restaurant. They can't imagine life being any better than the last week uh, the, uh, of, of knocking back uh, three or four glasses of wine or six pack of beer. They can't imagine that there's anything better than what this world has to offer. They really aren't focused on the eternal. Well, see, the cultural Christian, that's the way they act, but boy, they do not they do not act that way if they've been truly redeemed. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews, wrapping up this letter, says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here on this earth we have no lasting city. Hey, the redeemed, we're not citizens of this world. We're passing through. Now, why are we here? Well, Paul said to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. We're here to do the work of the Lord. And can I be honest with you? It's really the only thing that keeps me going. Now more than ever, if you were clinging to this world, I bet you're incredibly disappointed. But see, I don't cling to this world. The redeemed don't cling to this world. This is not my home. This is not my city. I'm a foreigner here. I'm looking to where I belong. And that's in eternity with King Jesus. His kingdom is not of this world. And this world is going to be refined, it's going to be burned, and it's going to go away. And there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. And Jesus' promise will come true that, behold, he's making all things new. And you know what else he's making new? You, me, the redeemed. So... A follower of Christ, a true Christian, a, a, someone who's truly redeemed, dreamed, ha, redeemed, has a life of repentance, and they're eternally minded. What's the next thing you find in a true follower of Christ and someone who's been redeemed? The next thing you see in their life is sound doctrine. Oh, my goodness. Sound doctrine. L let me tell you something. Scott Swain said that sound doctrine delivers us from the snare of false teaching. There, there's a rotten kind of fruit that can be detected uh, in, in a, a non-regenerate person, cultural Christian, that is believing, holding, holding on to, and teaching a false gospel. Paul was so serious about the significance of sound doctrine that much of his New Testament letters consisted of what? Instructing the church to make it an absolute priority. He instructed Titus that every elder should hold to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to also refute those who contradict it. Now, I know you're saying he's going to say that thing about counterfeit money again, and you are correct. I don't know of a better example, and it's really what Paul is saying to Titus right here. The Secret Service knows how to detect counterfeit currency not because they've seen counterfeit currency. They never show them that. It's because they've seen the genuine article over and over and over, so much so they know every single detail of it. So when someone presents something that isn't gen 
genuine. They know, in our case, sound doctrine so well, you spot a false teacher. You spot a counterfeit. And, and if you're devoted to Jesus and you've been redeemed, you have a hunger for the Word of God. You have a hunger for sound doctrine, and you won't tolerate it, and you'll recognize it. And as Adrian Rogers, the, the late great pastor who's received his reward in heaven, said, when you're looking for the adversary, when you're looking for the demons, when you're looking for evil, never fail to check that pulpit because he finds himself there sometimes. And if you don't know the difference, you could be taught something that is not sound and never know the difference. Do you, do you know sound doctrine? Do you know the Word of God? I mean, is this something that you can be trusted with? You know, I think, I think about Paul's letter to Timothy, and he says, you, you tell these men, you, you, you tell these people, they've got to be able to handle the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews is, is complaining. He's saying, how can some of you, some of you should be teachers by now, but I continue to have to go back and give you milk because you can't handle meat. And he says, you know what? He says, I, I'm so sick and tired of this. I can't believe that I'm continuing to have to teach you the basic oracles of God. How have you not moved on? How do you not know sound doctrine? When I was a cultural Christian, I didn't know doctrine from a hole in the ground. You could have told me anything. I didn't know. And see, that's the problem with being a cultural Christian. You don't live a life of repentance. You are not eternally minded, and you don't know anything about sound doctrine, and you, you hear some really bad teaching, and you sing some songs that have really bad theology. Man, there's a lot of that stuff being cranked out right now. But there's some bad churches cranking out a lot of real snappy worship songs, but the doctrine in these lyrics is blasphemy. But you don't know if you're a cultural Christian because you don't know enough to spot it. You know, how many more of these songwriters are we going to see denounce their faith till we start thinking, maybe writing modern-day hymns, we've given, them, given this responsibility to people that we haven't vetted out. And I'm not saying there's not some great modern hymns. Don't misunderstand me. The old hymns still hold their own, and certainly God hasn't stopped producing hymns and songs. But I got news for you. Some of this stuff that's being cranked out from some of these, when you hear the name of a church, tied to worship songs, check into the church. Find out if they have sound doctrine. Because if the church it comes from doesn't have sound doctrine, the songs probably don't either. Because that's where they're birthed from. But that's what you have to know. And that's why it's important to know about sound doctrine. So what's the next one? Oh boy, here comes this one. What's the next thing you got to look for? If you're a true Christian versus a cultural Christian, one of the things you'll see Spiritual disciplines. <gasps> Spiritual disciplines. I will tell you this. We did uh, a Bible study here uh, a few years ago from Dallas Willard called The Spirit of the Disciplines, and that's the first time I really started sensing from the Bible study they wished I would leave. I mean, it was a very hard-hitting struggle. If you, if you are so bold, you can go back to BurgessMinistries.com, click on Listen, uh, I don't know that those made it to the YouTube channel. It might have been before that, but I know you can find them at Burgess Ministries under Listen. Look for our series on the spirit of the disciplines. It is deep, it is hard-hitting, and it is not a pleasant ride. But 
the what do we mean by spiritual disciplines? What do we mean by that? Uh, so first of all, let's look to Scripture. Uh, let us strive to know the Lord, Hosea 6.3. Christians care about knowing Jesus more than cultural Christians. When it, when it comes through spiritual disciplines designed for growth, Peter wrote to the church that like newborn infants desire pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in your salvation. Uh, the first Christ, Christians in the book of Acts devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These were men God provided to help believers to grow in their faith and affections for God. So what are spiritual disciplines? Well, what are physical disciplines? I know you're saying, well, Rick, what do you know about that? Well, i got to tell you, a large part, part of my life, I didn't know much about it. God convicted me on that as well. I got a long way to go, but uh, I stopped justifying my lack of physical, physical disciplines. But let me tell you what, we better not ignore our spiritual disciplines. What is that, Rick? Well, that would mean time in the Word of God, devote, devotion to the teaching of the apostles, devotion to the Word of God. Is this something that's a priority to you? Prayer, devotion to prayer, fasting. You know, there's a reason. that The biggest, the biggest thing that I heard one day on fasting, because, you know, if you're like me, you don't want to hear about fasting. Because, you know, I've had an issue of gluttony and sin in my life, and I, I had to address it. And I remember saying, well, you don't have to really, you don't have to fast anymore. It's a... That's, you know, that's legalism. That's what that is. And, uh, and then I started realizing that Jesus was teaching, and he was saying this, when you fast, do this. When you fast, don't do this. Well, he said the same thing about prayer. When you pray, do it this way. When you pray, don't do it this way. Well, if he's telling me how to fast and how not to fast, I guess he expects me to fast. And if you remember, some people try to play that card of when Jesus was with the disciples and they were eating uh, even on the Sabbath. But you, you better listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's no need for them to fast right now because I'm with them. But when I go, then they'll fast. Well, he's got, he went. So, so he hasn't come back yet. So, yes, we are to fast. Not, not out of legalism, not out of, not out of you know, burdensome. You fast because it's a spiritual discipline to get you closer to God. You know, what is fasting supposed to do? When I start thinking about the thing I'm fasting, it makes me go to prayer so I can lean on God so I quit worrying about this thing that I, that I think i got to have. I'm denying my flesh something so I can focus on God. And you won't find a, a place in the Bible where anybody was given, you know, a word from God, a call. When, when, when people had to make big decisions in Scripture, you know what they did? They fasted. So fasting, prayer, study of the Word of God, spiritual discipline, spending time in solitude, spending time just listening to God. These are all things that Jesus showed us when he was here with us, when he was 100% God, but decided to also be 100% man. He showed us spiritual disciplines. Are these part of your life at all? They are part of the life of those who are redeemed. So what's another thing that we should, we should look for in our life if we want to see whether we're a cultural Christian or we want to see if we're a true Christian? Generosity. Generosity. Uh, there's not a redeemed person on this planet that's, that's not generous. Are you generous? And, and generosity means, you know what? If you have a need and I can meet it, I do. Uh, you've heard uh, sacrificially give. Uh, the Lord loves a joyful giver. 
Uh, Jesus spoke with complete clarity on money, proclaiming that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's in Matthew 6, 21, if you want to write that down. Matthew 6, 21. My heart is far from Christ if I am not living generously with regard to my financial resources. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, you're talking about giving of our time. Well, well sure, but no, th this is about money. Uh, this is about things. Uh, if somebody has a need, you give it. If the church need, is advancing the gospel, you give. You're generous. You're generous to people. You're, you're not. A, I get so sick and tired of hearing, that, and I don't even know if this is even true anymore, but it's become mod to say so, that waiters and waitresses, they don't like Sunday because this is when all the church people come in and they're all cheap. They don't tip. Tip generously. I mean, uh, I mean, this is a person that's being paid below the minimum wage. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tip generously if they do a good job. Well, how about this? What if God decided whether he was going to forgive you or not as long as you did a good job? Has God been gracious to you? Has God been gracious to me? Yes. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't even care that your food was cold. and Maybe you don't even care that you needed something to drink and it didn't come to you. You just care about this person and whether they're going to be able to feed the kids they have at home if they're a single mom. Maybe you just care about the person because they're a college kid trying to make it. Yeah, maybe they did a bad job. You know, is, is that really being generous? Is that being gracious? No. Uh, a follower of Christ is generous. Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthian church that God loves a cheerful giver. I told you about that, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. A fruitful Christian loves what God loves, and the scriptures are clear that generosity is near to the heart and the character of God. God showed us generosity, ultimately. Grace. I didn't deserve that. I didn't do a good job. And we say, well, I tell you, you did a good job today. Here's a little grace for you. No, what he said is, even though you're wretched sinners and really you live your life, if you hate me, I'm going to forgive you anyway. So who are we to withhold what he's given us? You'll, you'll never, you'll never, there's never a point when you could say, I, tell you, I think I give too much. I'm just too much of a giver. That's impossible. You don't want to be irresponsible with what you've been given, and you certainly want to know what you're giving to, but sometimes it doesn't even matter. I've had people say before, well, oh, you got you to be careful giving to some of these things or giving to some of these people. You don't know what they're going to do with it. So what? If you gave with a cheerful heart and you gave for the right reason, and that ministry that you supported or that person you tried to help, if they squander it, they'll face God on that. You won't. That's on them. But be a cheerful giver. And generosity is at the heart of a true Christian. Not so much for the cultural Christian. So what's the next thing that we have to assess? Do I have a heart for the lost? Do I care that people are going to hell? Jesus told the scribes and religious rulers who did not understand why he spent so much time with sinners that a shepherd would leave 99 sheep to go find one who was missing. A person coming to faith in Christ is the very thing that causes angels to rejoice in heaven. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on, let's go back to Luke. Uh, let's go to Luke 15. Uh, Luke 15, um, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told the, this parable, 
Uh, what man of you, having a uh, hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that he that is lost until he finds it? And when he was found, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Uh, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who think they need no repentance. Amen. Do you have a heart for the lost? Does it bother you that people that you come in contact with all the time may be going to hell? If we desire to be more like Jesus, and it is more but certainly not less than having a heart for those who need his salvation. A heart for the lost shows an awareness of our realization of our own stories of receiving the grace of Christ Jesus, as I just talked about. He came to seek and save the lost. You see this in Luke 19.10. And if we are in Christ, we will display the fruit of the same desire in our own lives. Jesus said, I came to save the lost. How can a follower of Christ not care about the lost? Can I ask you a hard question? It's, a, it's going to be a tough one. Um, is there anybody? Is there anybody... Oh, we certainly don't save anybody. Don't misunderstand me. But is there anybody, think about it in your life right now. Is there anybody that can say, I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ because you, me, put, put our name here, blank, cared about me so much that they pointed me to Jesus? Is there anybody that can take their salvation and point it back to your obedience? Certainly you didn't save them. I didn't save them. But did, did they find their way to Jesus because you directed them there? You, you, you follow what Jesus said to go out and make disciples and to teach them to obey all that I have taught you? You know what Jesus said? I won't even leave you hanging on this. I'll be with you. I'll give you the courage. I'll give you the comfort. Well, you know, Rick, I'm just, I, I just, that's just not my personality. Where is that in the Great Commission? So I read the Great Commission several times, and I can't find in there Jesus saying, do this unless it's not your personality. No, he said he's with you. Well, how hard is it unless, unless it's never happened? I didn't lead anybody to Christ when I was a cultural Christian. You know why? I didn't know what to tell them. <laughs> you think they were going to look at my life and desire the way I was living? I lived the same way they did. But after I was truly redeemed... Strangely, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to say to someone, this is how I used to be. This is the man I was. I encountered Jesus Christ, and let me tell you what he did for me and he did for you. And then after I repented of my sin and I acknowledged Jesus as my authority, I submitted to his authority, I confessed him as my Lord, I belonged to him, he bought me on the cross. Then after that, Jesus made me this way and is continuing to change me. And he can do the same thing for you. What is your testimony? Do you have one? Because if you don't, if you can't answer this question, if somebody says, so now you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian? Do you know the answer to that? I mean, we've walked through this. It's not because your mom and daddy were Christians. It's not because somebody sprinkled you when you were a baby. It's not that. It's whether you look into your life. It's not because you might have recited some prayer somebody told you to recite. 
Certainly some people that have been through the things that have changed their life forever. But the bottom line is these things don't mean anything. They're nothing but rituals if you don't see the fruit of redemption in your life. And one of the things that you should see is a life of repentance. Another thing you should see is you should be eternally minded. Another thing you should see is sound doctrine. Another thing you should see is spiritual disciplines. Another thing you should see is generosity. And another thing you should see is a heart for the lost. What else? A love for God in his church. A love for God in his church. I remember when God just radically pulled me out of my cultural Christianity. I remember the man who, who God used to bring me out of it. 13 years I'd never been in God's church. For 13 years I'd never gone. I was taken there as a child. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for that. But as soon as it was my own decision, I didn't do it. I didn't do that. But I still claim to be a Christian, even though I've lived a life of debauchery. And the pastor asked me what church I went to. And I said, well, I don't go to church. I said, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. What an idiot. And you know what he said? Legalistically, you're right. But people don't go to church to become Christians. They go to church because they are. So there should be a love for his church. Yes. As a matter of fact, God loved the church so much that he died for it. It's called his bride. And, and he, the bridegroom. And Jesus tells us that we show love for him by obeying his commandments. We talked about this, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. But we also see descriptions throughout Scripture of adoring God, praising him, relishing in his grace. A maturing heart in Christ will grow more and more loving as it beholds our loving God. We also seek to love what God loves, his glory and his church. We see calls to continuously spur one another on to good works. Write this down, Hebrews 10, 24. To only speak what benefits others, something I need to continue to prove on, improve on. Ephesians 4, 29. To consider others more important than ourselves. Philippians 2.3. To do good to all people, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. Galatians 6.10. The Psalms are full of adoring praises to God, and the New Testament epistles are full of guidelines for intrapersonal relations within the body of believers. Both elevate love and consideration above selfishness. Cultural Christians bear fruit of this world, not fruits that are driven by the belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. They may resemble the tree that he talks about. You may, you may look like a tree, and you certainly may have some fruit on it, but are we a diseased tree? Are we a tree that produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our heart, is it there? Is it there? Do you love his church? Do you love his church? Do, do you do you take do you do you go to great stakes to honor it, to worship him? He's worthy of worship. He's the only one that's worthy worthy of worship. Do you have a desire to even be there? 
If, if I hear another person say that you don't go to church because people are hypocrites, I'm going to throw up. You don't go to church for people. If people are hypocrites, you know what? We all are to some degree because we had to be saved by grace. You know, the church is made up of nothing but a bunch of beggars that are telling you where the food is. We started out saying we had to be redeemed by being a Christian. You already know you're a problem. You go to church to praise and worship the only one that's worthy of worship, and the people aren't worthy of it. You don't go there to worship a pastor. You don't go there to worship a praise and worship team. You go there to worship the Lord, and he is worthy of worship, and he loves his church. The writer of Hebrews says, I've heard that some of you have started the practice of not meeting together. Stop that. Don't be like the ones that have started doing that. We're to be together. We're to be in praise. We're to be to worship. I can remember never wanting to go to church thinking to myself, how can I get this off the list for the week and never return until I have to again? And then I was redeemed. And I fell in love with his church. And that's supernatural because that's not me. And I love his church. You know, my wife and I, as we get ready to close, a life of repentance, eternally minded, sound doctrine, spiritual disciplines, generosity, a heart for the lost, love for God and his church. Jesus has this parable that is um, really kind of wraps it all up in Luke 13, starting in verse 6. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? But the vine dresser answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also. Okay? Give it one more year. I'm paraphrasing that. Until I dig around it, and I'll put, I'll put some fertilizer and manure on it, then it should bear fruit next year. And if it does, well and good. But if not, then cut it down. So after the earthly death of our youngest son, Sherry had a fig tree planted in the back of our yard, and it's there today. I'll see it today. And we put it there, symbolic of this parable, because we knew when we'd gone through that suffering that we loved the Lord Jesus so much that we would obey him and that he would never, never come to the fig tree that represented our marriage and not find fruit. And that fig tree is a reminder that, that when, when, you, when you go through a tough winter with a fig tree, the one thing that you look for after to see if that fig tree survived is you'll see just little signs in the fig tree that even though it's come through a harsh winter, it's going to bear fruit. And, you know, as, as, as we just heard Jesus say in the parable, if, if the tree's not going to bear fruit, I mean, give it a chance. And, and if, you, if it hadn't happened, maybe it's time for you to do what the vine dresser begged the master, hey, give, give it one more year. Give it one more year before you, before, you, before you cut it down. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. 
maybe let me submit to the authority of Christ because I never have. Let me repent because I never have. Let me fall in love with the Word of God and let me consume it. Let me pray. Let me fast. And then, if I don't bear fruit, then cut me down. Just give me one more year. Jesus is, is inspecting the fruit of, of our lives right now. What is he saying? What is he saying? Is he saying, I've come here for three years in a row, and all I see is a cultural Christian. I see no fruit. You're taking up the space in the life that I gave you. You're squandering it. Cut it down. But maybe today you say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Just d dig around me. Fertilize me. And I'll produce fruit. Give me one more year. Now more than ever, it is so crucial for us to assess ourselves and ask a hard question. Am I a healthy tree? Or am I a diseased tree, a cultural Christian, an unsaved Christian, a fake? Because I don't produce fruit. Or I look at my life, I've assessed it, I see these things in my life, and I'm confident that I'm redeemed. I don't know that answer for you. But it's been an incredible ride to go through these several weeks asking ourselves some very difficult questions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this series and thank you for this time and thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which I sense all around me right now. And I, I can imagine that the, uh, finishing up this series that all across this country and even possibly around the world because of this incredible technology that you've afforded us, that there's people whose hearts are cut and they too need to repent. And I pray, Lord, that you would honor every sincere heart, as you said you would, that desires to repent and confess that you are their Lord and that they believe that you came here, that you died on the cross and that your Father rose you from the dead on the third day and you've returned to your place of glory and now you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that those with sincere hearts receive that gift right now, the gift of redemption. And maybe they leave cultural Christianity and they'll experience true redemption. I pray that you honor those, Lord, that are, that are praying those prayers to you right now. And if I can be of any service to any of them, help me to have the right words from you. And Lord, will you please continue to refine me into the man that only you can make me. I pray for my wife. I pray for my children. I pray for the country and the nation that you've allowed me to live in, and I pray for this lost and dying world. May you be with the team here at the Rick and Bubba Show and help us to be obedient and to continue to try to walk that line of in the world but not of the world and forgive us when we fail you. I lay these things now at your feet. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for being part of this series. If I can be of any assistance or answer any question for you, uh, my email is rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks a lot. 
Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.